good to have you here tonight on a rainy night. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. We spent last time looking at the deity and the humanity of Jesus. The difference between his name of the Son of God and the Son of Man. We're going to pick up here at verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So as he comes into the, into the world, as the Father brings him into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. So again, his purpose here is to make you'd see that not only Jesus, uh, Jesus the Christ, is superior to the angels, but Jesus in his humanity is superior to the angels. And so, when he comes into this world, it is said, let all the angels of God worship him. So if the angels of God are worshiping him, how much less should we worship the angels? We should be worshiping the one that they worshiped. So, but, he, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? The angels, folks, are first off, he talks about them here being spirits. They are, they are spirits. Now, they also seem to have a body. And either they just take that form of a body or the, uh, however it is that they, they have that. But here it calls them spirits. So they are spirit beings, just like we are spirit beings. And his ministers, a flame of fire. They're also his ministers. They're spirits and they are his ministers. These, the angels are here to be ministers for God. Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So as we describe the kingdom that he is going to have, his scepter, that which he rules from, is said to be righteousness. And he's going to spend a little bit of time on how important this principle, this concept of righteousness is in the kingdom that we have here. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, who is the he talking? If you go back to these quotes from the Old Testament that are there, it would seem like it's the, the psalmist who is writing these things, and he's the one who's saying it. But the person who writes the book here of Hebrews is under the impression that the one speaking is God. In fact, if you look at a comparison, you can see a little confusion in the, in the uh, translators. The King James Bible has the he as a small he. The New King James has the he as a big he. So even there, there's a little bit of confusion on who the he is. But here in verse 8, But to the Son, he says, To the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, I pulled this from the New Century Version. It reads this way, And when God brings his firstborn son into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. This is what God said about the angels. God makes his angels become like winds. He makes his servants become like flames of fire. But God said this about his son. So he puts it in that way. But God says this about his son. God, your throne will last forever and ever, and you will rule your kingdom with fairness. 
Now, he drops the word righteousness, puts in the word fairness there. But look at this way to translate verse 8. But God said this about his son. But God said this about his son. This is God saying this about his son. God, your throne. So, in this essence, God is calling his son God. And this is the son of, this is the, the human side. The Jesus part. God, your throne will last forever and ever, and you will rule your kingdom with fairness or with righteousness. Now, verse 9. We're going to spend some time here on verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. One of the things about Jesus, and when he comes in his kingdom and he rules with the scepter of righteousness, is that he loves righteousness and he hates. Now, it doesn't just say unrighteousness. It says he hates lawlessness. He loves righteousness, but he hates Lawlessness. The word there, love, is the word we're very familiar with. Agape, righteousness. I pulled this out. I had it in your outline. Didn't have room for it, so I'll just read this one to you. The definition of righteousness is characterized by proceeding from or in accordance with standards of morality, justice, or uprightness. But righteousness is a constant. It does not change based on needs, wants, or desires. What is declared to be righteous is righteous because it's declared to be. What is declared to be right, what is declared to be fair, what is declared to be lawful, is that's the way it is. It doesn't change because of the needs of the person or the conditions. Law is law, basically. Jesus has a great love for what is righteous. Not man's standard, but that which comes from and is declared by God. So Jesus has a great law, a love for the things that are righteous. These are the things that God has said, this is righteous. It's not what man says, it's what God has said. And Jesus has a love for this. It also says that he has a hatred for those things that are lawless. Now lawlessness is those things contrary to or without regard for the law, being without law, uncontrolled by a law, unbridled, unruly, unrestrained. And it says that Jesus hates that. He hates that. Jesus hates, or another word, way you could render this particular word, detests. He detests lawlessness. It seems in the word of respect is given to conditions of law. In the word of God, there is a respect given for conditions of law. Even those laws that are laws of men. There's a, there's a respect from the word of God on that. The one time in Israel's history that's not spoken of real highly, uh, one of many, of course, but one in particular, is in the time of Judges when it said that every man did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't have a higher authority. They didn't have a higher law. Now, I said there was no king in the land where there was no king to proclaim the law and to enforce the law. Just because you have a law, if no one is there to enforce it, you really don't have a law. You have to have people that are there to, to keep it or to enforce it or to make there be a penalty if, if one were to break it. Because not everyone loves righteousness. And so you have laws that come in and to, to work that. Jesus hates or detests lawlessness. He does not like that. The condition 
uh, the conditions not spoken well about were lawlessness or people doing what was right in their own eyes. I put this in your outline for you because I want to make sure that you got this one. As we move closer to the image of God in our lives, this same love and hate or, de- or detesting must also come to be part of our being. So the more that we come into the image of God, the more that we draw closer to God, the more we get into, into His will, into that love that God has, the more we are drawn into that. We are drawn into a love for righteousness and a hatred for lawlessness. Because that's what God is. And that's what Jesus is. Now how can we as Christians encourage, entertain, or become partakers of lawlessness? How can we do that? And yet there are Christians that will go out there and partake of things that are, that are lawless. They'll t- partake of things that are in rebellion. They're going around, uh, going around the law to do or to get what we see as beneficial. We cannot go around the law to do what we see as beneficial because God detests lawlessness. Doesn't like it. Now, we have laws of God and laws of men. And we've all heard it before. You know, you can obey the laws of men as long as they don't disobey the laws of God. But let's take a look at what the Word really has to to say about this. Remember the the times with uh, Daniel. Daniel did not obey the law against prayer. There was a law that was made against prayer. You shall make no other petition of any other God except for they saw their king at that time as the God. Now we all know that's a bad law. But Daniel doesn't go around denouncing the law, detesting the, the law, or doing anything about it. This is the law, and this is the punishment that is said that will come if you break the law. And so he is going to break the law because he's not going to disobey the law that he's under as far as God. He doesn't go around crying unfair. He doesn't go around saying this isn't right. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, uh, they, they say, well, the punishment is you're going to be put into the lion's den. Did you ever find any time that Daniel objected to being thrown into the lion's den? Never, never does. It's like, okay, I broke the law. That's the penalty. I'm good with it. <laughs> but if you look at the way a lot of Christians have this attitude now, no, that law was wrong. I broke that law and you need to change that law. That's not how Daniel went about it. He says, no, I, I did break that law. I did it. And he didn't try and hide that he was breaking the law. He opened the windows. He was in prayer the same time as he was before. It was really easy to get caught because he didn't change anything that he had done. Because he was operating under the law of God. The law that was in him. The law did not say that you had to pray those three times. But the law does say, you were <laughs> God's law, that you're not supposed to be making requests of other gods. Or not making ones of, of him. So he stayed with that. Now let's take a look at his buddies. His buddies that had the law. You will bow. When the music is played. You will bow to this golden image. Well God says in his law. You will not bow. And so. Now, now we, we all know the story. They're there. The music is playing. Everybody else is bowed down. They stayed up. They don't run around protesting. They don't have signs. They don't do any, anything like that at all. They just stand there. Because they're not going to bow to a foreign god because of the things that, that God has said. Don't bow to other gods. Well, we're not going to bow to another god. But we're not going to be just sitting sit here and being rebellion against you. I'm not going to obey that law 
but neither am I going to be lawless or rebellious. He's not going to do that. Now, a lawless person would just say, well, that law isn't right. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to follow my own law. I don't like the way that this one is, is going. And that's not what they did. They just stood there. Now, then people came around and said, these guys are not bowing. And so the king brought them before them. He says, look, we're going to give you another chance. We're going to play the music. And uh, if you guys bow, everything's great. If not, then it's going to be into the fiery furnace with you. And they said, well, you can play the music all you want to, but we're still not going to bow. They didn't call him nasty names. They said, oh, king. <laughs> they called him king. We're not going to bow to your image. Because they were in obedience to a higher law. That higher law said, you shall not bow to other gods. And so they stood. Well, the punishment according to man's law that he made was if you don't bow to the image, that you get thrown into the fiery furnace. They didn't go around running around screaming, well, that's not fair. That's not right. We don't think that law's good. They didn't do it. They just said, okay. So they take them and they throw them in the fiery furnace. Now we've had people in the past, you know, they've broken the laws of men that had death penalties. Not all of them came out of the fiery furnace alive. Not all of them came out of the execution without being executed. Just because you, you do that doesn't mean that you won't be executed. These guys weren't. And the story made the, the word of God. But Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they did not bow, but they also did not rebel. See, a lot of times when people want to go against the, what the law is telling them to do because God's law says something else, they also go into rebellion. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Now look at Jesus' words. Jesus, those things, we, they come to him and they say, is it lawful that we pay taxes? Well, it's a man's law. God doesn't say anything about taxes. It's a man's law. So is it lawful that we pay taxes? So what's Jesus saying? Well, bring me a coin. So they brought him a coin. And he said, whose inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. So he gives it back to him. He says, well, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. That's pretty simple, wasn't it? I mean, how are you going to argue with that? See, there's laws of men that govern things on this, on this earth. And Jesus didn't say, I don't like that law. Don't do it. He said, this is Caesar's money. It's got his inscription on it. If Caesar says you have to give so much back to him, then I guess that's what you do. But give to God the things that are God's. And so that's how he goes around with that. There's a story. I took it out of your um, outline. Didn't have room for that, but you can remember this or write it in. The woman caught with adult in adultery. Now, according to the people who brought her, she broke the law. She was caught in the very act of adultery. We talked about it before. They didn't bring the guy. They just brought the girl. And so here she is, caught in the very act of adultery. And they say, the, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? So Jesus began to write in the sand. And then he stood up. And he says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. So he didn't say don't stone her. He just said, whoever's without sin, you guys can throw the first one. And apparently the only one there who didn't have sin was Jesus. And he didn't have an interest in throwing the first stone. So he just, he just kept, kept going. So he got back down, wrote some more. And one by one, the people began to leave. And after they were all gone, he said to the woman, Woman, where are your accusers? They've all left. They've gone. 
He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. In other words, don't, don't go from here and act without law. Go in here and, and follow what you know to be right. What the Word of God has said, this is right, this is righteous. You go on off and, and do that. So he's not out here to try and condemn. He's out here to try and liberate. That was the woman that was caught in, a, in adultery. There are conditions of lawlessness, or I'm sorry, conditions of lawlessness will not produce righteousness. Conditions of lawlessness will not produce righteousness. I don't like the particular show, but I know people who do that show law and order. You know, law and order. If you don't have law, you don't have order. Got to have law first. The only way that you have one of those shows is because there's a law. (laughs) You know, they go off and they they follow the law. They they do whatever it is that the law says. And they'll sometimes bring out some of the discrepancies in law or some of the things that that are uh, kind of catch-22s in the and the whole thing with the law or some parts of the system might let a bad guy go free or keep a good person in jail. I'm sure that they cover all those, those things as well. But conditions of lawlessness will not produce righteousness. Sometimes Christians, in the face of seeing things that are not right, they don't like how something is going on, create a lawless situation. I'm not going to obey the law in order to produce righteousness. But you cannot produce righteousness out of lawlessness. You just cannot do it. We looked at this country. We've covered this issue before. But even in the area of abortion, Christians would like Congress to pass a law saying that abortion is illegal. And in some countries, you might be able to do that. But the way our country is founded, it's an illegal law. You cannot do it if you follow the way our law is. Because our law is set up, our Constitution is set up, that the government, the federal government, their Areas that they can legislate are very well defined and very few. It, it very, it's very small outreach what they can do. The idea was to keep the federal government small. The goal was to have the state governments become big. Their whole reason for it was if you don't like something that Pennsylvania does, you can move to New Jersey. If you don't like what Pennsylvania and New Jersey are doing, you can move to Delaware. You can move, but if the, you don't like what the United States is doing, it's not as easy to move out of the country. So if enough people move out of the state of Pennsylvania because they don't like a certain law, then Pennsylvania will probably get wise and say, we need to change this or we're not going to have any people left in the state. And so the, the very fact that people can move, they knew that would cause the states to not overstep their bounds. But the federal government didn't have any of that, those kind of restrictions. So the founders, when they made the law made it that the state's uh, powers, and if you've ever read the federal papers, uh, for those who've spent some time, I haven't read all of them, but I've read uh, a good bit of them. In the federal papers, they they define this, that the federal um, powers are few and well-defined. That the state powers are, are, are many and undefined. So they're not going to say that a state cannot say you shall not have an abortion. A state can make that law, but a federal government, according to our Constitution, cannot. So when we have Christians who rise up and say, this is wrong by God's word, therefore we need to have Congress pass a law and a president who would sign it, that abortion would become illegal. But that is to get into a lawless situation to do something that Christians think is right. If you know the laws of our, of our country. 
Now, other countries may not have laws of that nature and they can maybe pass a federal law, a law that affects the entire country and it not be breaking the law. But if we do it, it breaks the law because the federal government cannot pass that kind of a law legally. They have done so, but they cannot do it legally. It is the states that govern those kind of issues, not the federal government. So what we're seeing in this country is a, is a shift from the power going from the states to the power going to the federal government. And it creates a lawless situation, which is not good. And that's where we're seeing some of these things. I'm sure some of you have heard about the DREAM Act, the things that uh, President uh, Trump just signed a, uh, an executive order to uh, undermine and take away the DREAM Act. Well, the DREAM Act was an illegal act to begin with because it was something that was done that should have been done by the laws of Congress, but President Obama could not get Congress to write such a law. And so he decided to write it himself and pass what was called the DREAM Act, which, of course, there are many people in Congress who voiced their uh, objection and even called it an illegal law. Now some of those same people are saying, are rising up in defense of it. Because it's, you see, the law, to them, it's, it's not, this is what the law says, it's what do we want to accomplish? What do people want us to do? What do we feel good about doing here? There's a whole lot of different things that are going on. This, this whole thing was about some of the kids that came over in the trains. I remember the, the kids that came over in the trains. The trains that came up all the way through Mexico, never even stopped in Mexico, came up from South America right through because of a law that was passed that allowed this to happen. It's kind of one of those underhanded laws that if kids came into this country from our southern borders outside of Mexico, <laughs> then they could, uh, they could have legal residence. It's, it's an involved thing. I'm not going to get all into that. So anyway, can you imagine this? That suddenly a whole mess of parents decided to put their young children, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, on a train without adult supervision and sent them to a country way up north. They're down in South America, but they put their kids on a train without them being there. Can you imagine putting your son or your daughter on a train who is five years old, six years old, seven years old, putting them on a train saying, bye, to go to a country where there's no one there to greet them? What would move you to do that? And what would move thousands of parents and families to fill trains and send their kids on these trains. And then, we actually, uh, we covered it for you before, but there were actually advertisements from our government to find people to get these kids who were not even here yet. Now, how does that happen? And then once they were here, then we had the DREAM Act, of course, and the dream act was that once the kids were here, then they could go back and get their parents and their parents could come and they would be legal citizens because their kids were here. And according to the dream act, the kids were here and legal. So therefore, the parents would come on in and now you have illegal immigration made legal by the dream act. Now, no other country in the face of this earth would pass such a thing. But we did it here. Now, most of those ones that were coming in, they got into government um, assistance and uh, government monies. And this is what the DREAM Act 
uh, just in a, in a short thing, what it's about. So what President Trump did, and they're all upset about this, was uh, he negated it by the same way that President Obama put it into action by executive order. But he gave Congress six months to fix it. So instead of just passing it, he says, in six months, this thing's going away. You have six months to do what you're supposed to do and write legislation to take care of this problem. He's not telling them how to take care of the problem. He's just saying, you have six months to get this thing done. Now, to me, that was very presidential. And it wasn't breaking the law for a law that was breaking the law to, to bring it in. Now, you can go on a number of different things like, like this, but you see, we, we find situations and we, we don't like the outcome of it. The BP situation. We didn't like uh, certain people in the government didn't like that BP was only going to have to pay a certain amount of a fine. But that's what the law said. So they decided to, well, the president at that time decided to rewrite the law, scratched it, and increased it to whatever he wanted it to be. You can look it up if you don't remember that one. But the, the BP thing, that one, it, there's a whole lot of this going on. It's a lawless situation. And in a lawless situation, righteousness does not come. So whatever good people want to say is coming from the DREAM Act is not coming because you are bypassing the law in order to get it done. But you see, we fall in love with a cause. Oh, it's, it's children. It's children. Oh, we have to take care. It's, are you kidding me? What happened to those kids who were parents were motivated to put them on a train, to go on a train ride for weeks to get up, I don't know how long it took, a week, two weeks, how long were they on the train to get from South America to the United States? How long were they on the train? What kind of things happened to them on the train? Because who's there to protect them? Who's there to, to feed them? Who's there to take care of them? We're going to say this is all about the kids? There was nothing about the DREAM Act that was ever about the kids. If you look at, look at the whole thing from the beginning to the end. But that's what they want to use as an excuse. Well, it's for the kids. We can't just do this to the kids. What did you do to the kids putting them on a train? I, I, I could not imagine having my little ones when they were young. We, we couldn't imagine them being on a school bus going from our house <laughs> to the school. My wife followed them the first time. <laughs> Make sure they're going to get there okay. Can you, what, what happens to parents who put them on a train and, send, and we may not ever see them again? We don't know that their safety is even guaranteed. How can you do that? But of course, anybody who comes against the DREAM Act, they're against kids. Simply because they don't look into what the whole thing is about. You cannot get righteousness out of lawlessness. And the more that we are going to take on the image of God, the more we are going to fall in love with God, the more we're going to let His love come into us, we have a love for law. Not the law in that we're legislating righteousness. That's not the law we're talking about. We're talking about the law of order. The universe is governed by laws. We study them. Science, it, you cannot have science. It amazes me that scientists are not all born again. Because you cannot have science without laws. If everything happened in science just as ever it wanted to happen, then there's nothing to study. But it happens because of laws. Light travels because of laws. Sound travels because of laws. Earth revolves around the sun because of laws. The water stays on the earth because of laws. All these things, there are laws that are in operation. You know, we know the law of gravity and, and we know about the law of thrust and lift and, 
and then Einstein came on out there and came out with the, his, his theory of relativity and, and possibly this is other laws that are involved there and they were out in space and they proved those theories that he had as being, being uh, right. Uh, just, uh, just amazing things that people can, can understand. But these, there are laws that bring these, things into, bring these things about. The reason that stars are created is because of laws that God put in operation that causes stars to continue to be created. It's just amazing how these things happen. It doesn't just, doesn't just go on. There's laws that operate it. The atom is held together because of laws. Laws of nature. Laws of, of the universe, or however you want to... God put them in operation. And the only way that laws hold fast is because someone is there with an authority. You have to be there with an authority. When we had the Wild West times in our country, you know, there were, there were ideas that people had about laws. You know, you shouldn't steal my money. You shouldn't uh, break into the bank and, and all these kind of things. But unless you had someone there to enforce that law, then that law wasn't enforced. You had had someone there. So God is the force behind all this. Specifically, Jesus is the force behind all this. He is the authority that causes all these laws to operate so that in the universe we have order. We don't have chaos in the universe. We have extreme order. And the more that scientists study the order that is involved in the universe, how do they ever come up with this thing that God does not exist? That's why that, that guy who's supposed to be the smartest guy in the world, I forget his name. His, his name is insignificant to me, but he's supposed to be the smartest guy in the world. But I hear some of the things he said about God. I said, that is the stupidest person in the world because you cannot have that much, not, that much knowledge of how laws in science work and not believe that there's a God. Whether you want to say there's a different God from my God or whatever it is, you got to, there is something that is causing these things to operate according to a law. They don't just do it on their own. But God has a love for righteousness. Or fairness is one one thing put it. And he disdains lawlessness. As Christians, we should never advocate anything being done that is against the laws of the country in order to satisfy something that we think is right. Just like David when he saw Saul. People said, kill him. He's doing things that are unlawful. He's going against the the, he shouldn't be out here trying to kill you. And what's David say? That's not for me to enforce. He's under the authority of God. That's under God to take care of. That's not for me. And so he stayed with that. And he didn't, didn't disobey it. And God loved that about David. This is, this is a man after my own heart. He wouldn't go out there and do it. Now we saw a time that David decided to go against the law with the whole thing with Bathsheba. God wasn't too happy about that. Just because he was a man after God's own heart doesn't mean he couldn't miss it. And he missed it there. He came up with his own law. And in that own law, he killed somebody. Had somebody killed. Had some things go on that weren't right. God says, you, you gave an opportunity for the enemies. Because God loves righteousness. Doesn't like, and he uses the word hate for lawlessness. We've got to have that same thing. I cannot push in this country for, we can't push for things, well, everyone should be just forced to worship God. No, that's, that's not right. That's not godly. That's not going to produce righteousness. That isn't, 
that isn't the way that, that it should go. Just We can't force people to not have abortions. We've got to go in the way that the, that the um, country is, is set up. And every country is set up differently. Our country is set up very differently from how other countries were before. If the country is set up like Israel was, where the king can just make a proclamation, and that is the law, then the king can make a proclamation and say, you shall only worship or only do or only... And that's, that's what he can do. But there is the law of God. If the law of men tell me to do something against the law of God, I'm not supposed to go around making a fuss. I, I can't even see any, any legitimate reason for us to have protest signs and go up there and hold protest signs and say, we don't like this. Um, and I can't find a legitimate reason for it because every time I see that people in the Word of God disobeyed the law of men, they stood right there and said, go ahead. Whatever you said you have to do, go ahead and do it. I'm prepared. Paul brought a defense against, uh, for himself in court because he said, I haven't broken your law. They, they were saying that I broke the law, but I didn't break your law. Here's your law. Here's what I did. I didn't break your law. That was his defense. That's a good defense. <laughs> I didn't break your law. If Paul had broken the law, Paul, I'm sure, would have been like Daniel and would have been uh, like, like others. I broke the law. I'm here. Go ahead. Punish me as you need to. But see, Christians don't always do that. That's not always the way that we, we go. But we see, and you know, of course, with non-Christians, you see this even more. And they go out there and they rebel and they riot and they burn people's businesses and they take things that aren't theirs and make destruction. And that's not good. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that. That isn't the kind of, kind of stuff that we, we need to do. I, you, you think about the civil, civil rights stuff and things we're doing. I don't, I don't know everything about the Rosa Parks, but I know a little bit about it. I know some of the things that she said about it. I know that when she sat in the wrong spot in the bus, according to the laws that were there, she was fully willing to pre- to, and prepared to pay the penalty for breaking the law. But she wanted to pay the penalty. She wanted to bring it out as an, op- as an issue. She wasn't sitting there saying, well, this law isn't right and you can't do this to me and all that sort of stuff. As, as far as I know from the situation, she broke the law and she absorbed the penalty. But in absorbing the penalty, she was trying to bring light to something that wasn't right. Now, that to me is a good way to do it. That's how you, you do it. This is the law. The law is not right. So you bring it to light. And, and Daniel did, did that. It's not a right law, but we'll, we'll bring this to light. Their purpose on this was, was wrong. And you can go through the book of Esther too, find out some things in the area of law there as well. But we, we have a wrong idea of what, what this is about. But here we're talking about Jesus. He hates lawlessness. That means if you go against the laws of this land, just blatantly go against the laws of this land, he does not like that. How is it that we as Christians can walk in love and walk in worship of, of God the Father and uh, adopt these, these attitudes? Can't do it. We have to have a love for righteousness and a hate, as, it, as it's described here, detesting of lawless conditions. Because that's what the Word of God is, is talking about. He goes on in, in this verse, 
You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I think a reason a lot of people aren't, aren't happy and glad is because they don't understand this thing about righteousness and lawlessness. I look at the people that are constantly going in the direction of lawlessness and they never look happy to me. They never see, they're always upset, always mad at something. You want to have that oil of gladness, folks. I think Daniel was one who was, who was glad. I think he was glad a lot of times. Paul doesn't seem to be someone who went around sad all the time. There seemed to be gladness about him. You see, if you have that love for righteousness and detest lawlessness, you know, you know what? That, that might be the right principle. That's the wrong way to go about this. Let's not go that way. There'll be more gladness in your, in your life. He goes on in verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. In the beginning, that phrase, in the beginning, happens three times in the Word of God. Here, in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. So in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That goes back to creation of the, of the, of the earth, the heavens and the earth. John takes it back even further. In the beginning was the Word. That's going back even further. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. What he's saying here is that God has been here from before has made the heavens and the earth. And when the heavens and the earth are, get old like a garment and he folds them up and puts them away, he will still continue on. His existence is not, mean, this is not tied to this universe, the heavens or the earth. His existence is tied to nothing. He has always existed and he always will exist. Because with God, there is perfect order. And because there is perfect order, His existence is never going to be challenged. He loves righteousness, but hates lawlessness. The more we are closer to God, the more we've got to pick up this love for righteousness and this hate for lawlessness. And I mean a disdain. And I don't ever mean a hate that we go out and you destroy things and riot and stuff. That is a wrong way to go about stuff. It's a wrong way to go about it. We are not out there to do it. We should, Christians should not be out there uh, murdering abortion doctors. Let God take care of that. Don't be going out there blowing up abortion clinics. Let God take care of that. That's in His, uh, his, his area to do. Don't feel like God is saying, I want you to do that. God wants you to operate under the law of men. As the law is here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. Man, throughout history, has made laws against the things of God. And God still continued to exist. No matter what law man came up with, you cannot get rid of the existence of God. 
And he finishes that up here, this section, and he says, before, in the beginning, God was. God is now. And when all this that you see gets folded up like a cloth and put away, God will still be. That's our eternal God. Don't ever think that man can make a law that's going to challenge God in any way. They cannot. And if the, wor- if the world ever comes to a place where you need to break a law of men because a law of God has told you to do something different, don't r- run around crying unfair. Just sit there and say, I broke the law. That's what it said the punishment was. And when I broke that law, I was willing to take on that punishment. But I was not willing to break that law. See, a lot of times we want to, I want to break the law, but I don't want to have to have the punishment. <laughs> Mm-mm. Now, just know that you're God who sees you standing up for the laws that he says are true. He sees it. And he's the only one that you need to, to be seeing it. A love for righteousness, a disdain for lawless conditions. As we get closer to God, that should be more a part of our life. Father, we thank you for sharing who you are in your word that we get to learn more and more about who you are. You are a God who loves righteousness. Those things that are decreed by the word of God to be righteous, to be right, those are the things that we hold dear to. And when men come along and act against them, act lawless, I thank you, Father, that you give, a, give us wisdom of how to act. But we don't have to act without law. If we ever need to come to a place where we disobey a law of men, it is only because we obey a higher law but we stay in obedience to that law even as we stand against whatever it is they're telling us to do. We don't have to pick up anger, hatred, any of those kind of things for anyone else. We just need to be in love with you and in love with your word and in love with your law. And as we fall in love with your law, We love righteousness. And anytime we see disorder, lawlessness, it disturbs us. We won't like it. Thank you, Father, that our spirits are quickened to the things of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any comments? Questions? Anything to add? The, the Dream Act? Right. Are you specifically meaning the Dream Act? Right. The Dream Act was well, a no, series. I mean specifically our government. The executive order seems to be the big monster in the room that they use to outskirt the laws and, and rewrite, you know, what they want. Yeah. And I mean, that's not just recently. I mean, the executive orders have been around for a long time. So obviously there is a purpose for them, but because they exist, the, that purpose has been 
um, uh, broached. They've gone beyond what the purpose of it was. It was never meant to replace Congress. But you see, the founders figured that Congress would defend their right, their power. That's the whole idea of creating a balance of power. And that is the executive came over and tried to take some of the power from the legislative, that the legislative would say, hey, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to do that. That's our power, and you're not going to take it. They would stand up and fight for it. They didn't expect them to lay down and say, all right, go ahead and take it. Their greatest fear, the founding fathers, were the greatest fear was that the judicial branch would get out of control and begin to legislate from the bench. Yeah. If you look at some of their writings, that was their biggest fear, and that is what we see. And the judiciary is a bold law. Yep. But there's a check and balance on that. Congress can step in and, and take judges out of their position if they are operating outside of the law, mm-hmm. if they're not honoring the Constitution. I mean, when they do blatant things like they have done, and this is... There is no way that this is constitutional and they, uh, they uphold that. Well, then Congress can certainly step in, but the Congress doesn't step in. So if they don't step in and control a, a, one of the branches, then one of the branches can get out of, out of control. So the whole idea was if you have two branches of the government, you don't have the balance of power as easily as, as you do three. Because if you can get... Um, it's, it's, very, it's very hard to get all three corrupted at the same time. So if you can... Keep three of them. They should be able to keep each other in line. That was the idea. Not when they don't stand up and do what they're supposed to do. They have to be able to win this, stand up and do what they're supposed to do. And then we have not seen that. So. Purpose of law is there to represent what the people want. <laughs> well, that's what they're supposed to do. So if you didn't like what your lawmaker was doing, then you get that lawmaker out and get one that represented what. what yes. Your as long as, but they're also supposed to stay within the framework of the Constitution, right. which they're not staying within the framework. But they don't teach the Constitution anymore, and most people don't even know that. Most people, uh, it's amazing what they quote from the Constitution, and it's not from the Constitution at all. They'll just say this is in the Constitution. Well, that's not in the Constitution. They'll quote the Bill of Rights as being in the Constitution. And, and just not, it's ignorance. You just can't have the ignorance. You've got to go through and you've got to study these things and, and know, what's, know what the Constitution says. I mean, the Constitution comes out and says certain things and then, we, you know, that's, that's what we have. The Bill of Rights, was the, they were the first amendments. They were put in. Of course, other amendments are put in afterwards. But these amendments were put in to... Um, and you know, there's a number of, of people in the government who see the Bill of Rights as um, President Obama, President um, Woodrow Wilson, um, a few others I'm sure you can put in that list as well. They saw the Bill of Rights as a set... Of, and these are their words, they're not mine. These are their words. They saw them as a set of negative liberties. Restricting it, not not telling you what the government can do for you, but saying what the government can't do to you, and they see them as negative liberties. Well, the 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 Bill of Rights was put in there to be a protection to keep the government from doing certain things. Because what did they face in the Revolutionary War? A very strong centralized government who imposed their will on the colonies, and they didn't like it. And so they were making sure that the centralized government could not impose its will on the people of the land. But, of course, they're trying to change that 
and get people to think that it's something else. That was the reason for it. The right to bear arms is because the, the number one reason that that's in there is so that this country, if it ever needs to, can rebel, can start another revolution because they fully expected another revolution would be necessary because the government would become corrupted. It is not put in there that you would bear arms so you can go out there and hunt deer. It is there that you can bear arms, not just so you can defend the, uh, a robber coming in against your home. It is there so that you could band together as they did as the colonies and come against whatever centralized force was against you. That was their reasons. I'm not, I'm not calling for anything like that. I just, that is the reasons why they put the right to bear arms. They want to say, well, assault rifles are not necessary to go out and hunt. They're trying to rewrite the, the purpose. The purpose of the, of the Bill of Rights and that, that amendment to bear arms is so that you can rise up against and revolt against the government that is trying to impose its will on you. So what kind of weapons do you need for that? Those are the kind of weapons that the Constitution, or I'm sorry, the, the Bill of Rights says that you can have. So when they try and get there and they say, you know, somebody had an automatic weapon in there and they're shooting it up in the school and all these people died. We need to get rid of automatic weapons because that's not what the founders wanted. That's not what the founders had intended at all. They intended that whatever weapons were out there, that you as a citizen could have them because that's their purpose. Go back and read the federal papers if you want to. They will explain very much why they put all those things in there. And they do it very well. It is uh, 25 letters, I believe. They were letters to a newspaper. They were published in a newspaper so that people could read. They were trying to educate people on what the Constitution, what the Bill of Rights were, what their purpose was for them. And you can get them free. You can, if you have an iPad, you can download them on your iPad for free and read them. You can go to the library and get them too, but they're all over the place. You can find them. Judges are allowed to overturn an executive order, or, or uh, if the president. Oh, that one that when he did that one with the president. banning of certain right. countries, yeah. what the judge did was completely illegal because what he did. Oh, it, it, it was such a fascinating thing to do. The judge never judged on the law. What he did, well, if you go back and you read his statement, was he said that President Trump, during his campaign made this statement, and because he made that statement, he feels that he was biased against Islamic nations, and therefore the law that he passed was out of that bias. He never judged it on the law, because if you look at the way the law is worded and what President Trump did, it is 100% legal. The president... And past presidents had, I believe President Obama had done it. I know President Bush had done it. President Reagan, President um, Clinton, they all had exercised that particular law at a particular time. And no one had a problem with it. But in this one, they did. And they said, you know, it's because he's against Islamic nations, but he didn't come against all the Islamic nations, only came against uh, a, a few of them. But the law, as it was stated, he has every right, if he feels that our nation is in jeopardy, to stop travel from any of those countries. But the judge, if you look at the judgment, that the, he passed ninth, the Ninth Circus, I believe. Nice, nice circus. I called it the Ninth Circus. circus. 
It's a joke, that, that particular one. It is a joke, the things they come up with. But he, um, he wrote on this thing, and that's what he used, was something that he said during the uh, campaign. Now, if that happens, I mean, what else comes in the... Then the judge is no longer judging based on the law. Now they're judging motives. Well, I think you were thinking this. So therefore, because I think you were thinking this, that's not legal. And I'll, I'll determine against it. Now, once the Supreme Court overturned it and it bounced back to him, he wasn't willing to pick it back up again because he knows he's way out of line. He is way out of line on it. He even knows it. And he wasn't willing to go back and do it again. And so he didn't, uh, he didn't try and overturn it after the Supreme Court sent it back. And they said, no, we don't. <laughs> that's not right at all. Uh, but he, the law, what he did was perfectly legal. And any president, Democrat or Republican, I don't care whether I like them or not like them, if they feel that someone from a certain country could come over here and harm this country, they have every right to stop all travel from that country until they can get a handle on how to stop the ones that they feel are going to cause harm. Yeah, that was... Yeah, well, that's where Congress ought to be stepping up and Congress ought to be saying, you overstepped your laws. You are to judge by the law. You didn't judge by the law. Therefore, you're not doing your judge. You're out. That's what they should do. And that's what Congress can do. And they can impeach that judge and that judge is gone. And if judges feel, well, if I say overstep the line, I'm going to be removed. So I'm not going to overstep the line. Then they, they stop. But as long as they're not going to overstep, as long as they can overstep the line and there's no penalty, then why not keep going? They have to enforce it. If you don't enforce it, there is no law. So it's the fault of Congress for not stepping up and, and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. It can be the fault of the lawmakers. It can be the fault that uh, they're not enforcing them the way they're supposed to be enforced. I mean, back, back when the Obamacare was, was done. I mean, that was such a fiasco when it went to the Supreme Court. Because it went to the Supreme Court, and the whole thing about the, the wording was that the mandate, was it a tax or was it a penalty? And so it was determined that it was a tax because the government could do a tax. But the Supreme Court was hearing it. And the Supreme Court cannot hear a case on a tax that has not been levied. And the tax hadn't been levied or the mandate hadn't been levied yet. So the Supreme Court technically cannot hear that case because they cannot hear a case on a tax that hasn't been levied yet. So they called it, uh, I think they, they tried to call it something else. So when they got in there, then the, 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 the head guy, Roberts, I think it was, um, he decided to rewrite the law that Congress sent him, which is not their job. But he rewrote the law so that it was a tax instead of a penalty which meant if it was a tax, they shouldn't have even been hearing the case. And then he, he okayed it because it was a tax. But the whole thing is, is crazy because it can't get here if it's a tax. It's going to get here if it's a penalty or a mandate that is illegal. And that's what, is this legal for Congress to do this? And that was the whole idea of the thing. And it was not legal for them to do it. But he says, all right, it's not legal for you to do a mandate, but it is legal for you to do a tax. We'll rewrite this. And in his chambers, he rewrote it and made it a tax. And thereby, you can tax if you uh, so choose in this situation. But then the whole thing can't come to the Supreme Court. So, but none of that was ever brought out by, the, of course, the 
media who does all their research. <laughs> it's, it's amazing the things that are going on in the courts right now. <laughs>